0: Good morning to you. It's time for MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. With Sam Wells, I'm Jay White. Good show coming up for you today. We have Scott Little, the Athletic Director at Bellhaven University in the studio. He's going to be talking about the unveiling of the Bellhaven Bowl. that's coming up this weekend their uh, very first on-campus football stadium, and uh, they'll be playing their first game there this weekend. Uh, An exciting time for Bellhaven University and uh, a really good-looking facility that they're opening up. And we'll have C.J. Lamaster from uh, WLBT News in Jackson, Mississippi, and he's going to be talking about the rise in SEC money and revenue for the university, specifically here in the state of Mississippi. But they had a great report on where that money comes from and where it goes. That's all coming up in more in PBC's and Pass.
1: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. A commuter train crashed into the Hoboken, New Jersey station this morning. The New Jersey Transit Authority says 100 people were injured, some critical. Steve Nessen from member station WNYC has more from the scene.
2: It is unclear if there are people still... Trapped in the train station under the rubble. Say, um, I've not seen since I've been here in the last 45 minutes. I have not seen an ambulance pull away with anyone new. But there's a, and there's just a fire truck in front of the train station, uh, and several police vehicles and a lot of emergency crews, clearly ready to go in and start to do some digging.
1: Now, witnesses say it appears the train did not stop and hit the building. Part of the roof collapsed. Mark Cardona was on a train that arrived just after the crash. He told NPR's Morning Edition what he saw.
0: It wasn't at approaching speed. It was full,
3: full force. Um, The smash was so loud. Uh, There's definitely, at that point, there was no way of kind of seeing it coming and getting out of the way. There was no warning. Um, This train is about to crash into this place. There was nothing. I'm not sure what was going on inside of the train.
1: This train is a major commuter terminal, and train service into Manhattan has been suspended. Emergency workers are on the scene. Federal safety investigators are on their way. Hillary Clinton is campaigning in Iowa today. As NPR's Tamara Keith reports, her focus will be child care. Expanding access to quality, affordable
4: child care is something Hillary Clinton mentions in most of her campaign speeches. She announced her plans for it in the spring. Clinton's communications director says child care will be the central focus of the speech she gives today in Iowa. In recent weeks, child care has gotten far more attention than is typical in a general election because Donald Trump announced his own proposal, which his daughter Ivanka helped craft. It's not a coincidence that Clinton is in Iowa today. It's the first day of in-person early voting in the state. Tamara Keith, NPR News.
1: And Donald Trump campaigns in New Hampshire today. The office of the late Israeli President Shimon Peres says Bill Clinton has paid his respects outside Israel's parliament, where Peres' body is lying in state. The Nobel Peace Prize laureate died yesterday at the age of 93, as NPR's Daniel Estrin reports. As President Bill Clinton hosted Peres, Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat on the White House South Lawn in 1993 for the signing of the Oslo Peace Accord. President Obama is expected to arrive in Israel for Paris's funeral tomorrow, along with many other world leaders. Obama ordered flags to fly at half-staff until sunset tomorrow, in Paris's memory. NPR's Daniel Estrin reporting from Jerusalem. Wall Street is trading lower at this hour. The Dow is down about one-tenth of a percent, down 33 points at 18,305. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. Wells Fargo CEO John Stumpf reiterated to the House Financial Services Committee today he's deeply sorry.
5: We should have done more sooner, but we will not stop working until we get this right.
1: It's the second day of testimony for Stump over his bank's scandal over the opening of accounts for customers without their knowledge. Earlier, he spoke to the Senate Banking Committee. Stumpf is forfeiting $41 million of compensation, and his bank has been fined $185 million. But there is growing outrage among lawmakers that only lower-level people were let go. Amnesty International is accusing Sudan's government of repeatedly using chemical weapons to kill scores of civilians in Darfur. NPR's Afabia Quistarkton has more. Amnesty International has published disturbing images of the use of suspected chemical weapons in remote mountainous Jebel Mara region in Darfur. The rights group suggests
6: exposure to a blister agent has killed more than 200 people there this year. A report says children have died in agony, suffering from blistered skin and other telltale symptoms pointing to chemical weapons. Almost two and a half million people have been displaced in 13 years of continuing violence in the -the off-the-global-radar Darfur war. Sudanese President Omar Hassan al-Bashir faces war crimes charges over Darfur and now these accusations. Amnesty International warns the conflict risks entering a dangerous new phase, despite a recently agreed Darfur peace deal. There, Bjerg, Stockton,
1: NPR News, Harari. And again on Wall Street, the Dow is down 36. I'm Janine Herbst, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Carbonite, for backing up and restoring office and home computers to the cloud automatically. Learn more at Carbonite.com. And the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation at Macfound.org.
2: Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is? It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10 right here on MPB Think Radio.
0: Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Thanks for listening on this Thursday morning. Sam, we got an interesting uh, week of football coming up this weekend, but uh, we do have a rivalry game, yes, of some sorts anyway. Jackson State and Valley are playing. That's two yeah. in-state teams going up against each other. Rick Uh Yeah, and they've been they've been hyping the game a little bit. I don't know how much I'm buying into that, but um, <laughs> I've seen
4: some scores and box scores from um, Valley's first few games. And I am not buying into it. Right. And I kept up a pretty good bit with uh, Jackson State and uh, Grambling, who apparently seems to be the class of the uh, SWAC this year.
0: Well, Grambling and Southern, so, uh, you know, the SWAC office is eating that up. Yeah, they're fired up about that. And having seconds. Man, if there was only a way they could reshuffle the division so they could just have Grambling and Southern have a rematch uh, for the SWAC title game. Like, <laughs> immediately after that uh, game that they play, the Bayou Classic is over. Or maybe they could just have a Royal Rumble with all their players coming down to the ring in two minute increments. Yeah, it would be just a dream come true for them. But they love that
4: game. They love that game over there. Yeah,
0: they love it more than a league. But anyway, more than the national championship game, (laughs) right? Or Or a
4: national championship attempt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, we've got some interesting stuff coming up today.
4: Uh, The biggest things of the weekend, I think, uh, and we'll talk about it in detail uh, in the next segment with. uh, Belhaven Athletic Director Scott Little but uh, yeah. at Belhaven opening this beautiful new stadium in uh, the heart of Jackson of uh, Midtown Jackson so yeah. it's going to be a, it's going to be very exciting.
0: That's yeah. very cool. The Belhaven Bowl. And uh, I I'm digging it because uh, you know there are three um, I what I guess they you categorize as like smaller football playing schools around oh, yeah. the Jackson area. You got uh, uh, Mississippi College, Belhaven and Millsaps. And uh, they've all three kind of carved out a, a unique niche uh, on their own campus. And speaking of Mississippi College, duh, I forgot that tonight, actually, um, uh, is the battle for the uh, Heritage Bell, Mississippi College and Delta State. So there are two. I can't believe I almost forgot about that. I would got oh, in some big time trouble. I can't believe I forgot about it too. Uh, right,
4: my brother in law like works uh, the, uh, the MC games, so he's he's been looking forward to this for a while. Of course, it's in, I believe it's in Cleveland, but yeah,
0: nevertheless. And that's tonight, and um, I believe if if you don't, and I look if you're anywhere close, I encourage you to go ahead and uh, get a chance to uh, go to that game. But uh, if you're not uh, in different parts of the state, or you know, if you just you're not going to make the trip. I think that game is going to be available on uh, Watch ESPN or ESPN three. I don't know what they call it these days. ESPN three. Um, so yeah,
4: <laughs> it's ESPN three dot com so, or the Watch ESPN app. Oh, thank There's you. There's your plug.
0: Uh, yeah, I think you covered it. Yeah, but it'll be it'll be broadcast on that. So that'll be cool.
4: Yeah, I'm uh, you know I'm excited about this. I love uh, the MC's D- 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 Is it Dived Divin? dove back into division i think it's dived yeah dived back into division uh-huh. two football uh i it's one of the really the big and this is a story for another day i know i'm jumping on something that you are very passionate about but it's something that really uh annoys me about jackson state and that they're the only one double a team in the state well jackson state alcorn and mississippi valley the only quote unquote uh fcs college or f CS, yeah, colleges in the state of Mississippi, and they don't participate in the playoffs. And those playoffs are so entertaining and so fun to watch and so much fun to keep up with. And uh, it's disappointing you can't do it here in the state uh, with our uh, FCS colleges. But <laughs> the D2 and D3 playoffs are equally as exciting, and they uh, have them on in Delta State. has been a, a big part of those, and hopefully MC can do that too.
0: Well, if, uh, the Taking FCS, it back
4: to the Fred McAfee era. Yeah,
0: that's right. Uh, if the FCS... Uh, playoffs keep working like they have the last half a decade. Then uh, um, no one might as well enter into that yeah. tournament because it's been North Dakota State five times, five times in a row. That's well, insane. I mean, look at the NFL. Carson Wentz is yeah. carving
4: up the the NFL. So. Well,
0: look, I mean, they beat Iowa last week. Yeah, they won at Iowa. It's the sixth straight FBS opponent that they've defeated. I, that's crazy. But uh, that is there and not here. Man. But um, uh, we've got uh, an interesting game. Um, Ole Miss and Memphis. Yeah, Southern Miss is playing Rice, which uh, man, oh man, that looks like it'll be a bloodletting. <laughs> so now that I've said that, take a mortgaging and take a, take a second mortgage and go the other way. But uh, just look at statistically at the and what Southern Miss has been able to do, and then look at statistically at what's happened to Rice. Like they've been outgained by three hundred plus yards three times in their last like seven games. Three hundred. Yeah. That's a lot. Rice and, uh, <laughs> is good
4: at the book reading. They're not too good at the football end.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's... Um, that. that I, don't, I don't think Southern Miss will be pressed very hard in that one. But... Uh, Ole Miss has an unexpected revenge game with <laughs> Memphis here, yeah. uh, who beat a team to sleep like seventy-seven to three last week. Yeah, Bowling Boy, Green looked, you know, maybe they could check up a little bit in that game and make you feel a little bit better about this one Saturday.
4: Yeah, Bowling Green, uh, you know, if you go back and look at Bowling Green's uh, schedule, they have been beaten that way by a lot of teams. <laughs> but uh, hey, Memphis, no matter how you slice it up, beating someone like that. Uh, is tough. Uh, you can ask. Uh, hey, you that's, can where, uh, no that's where. That's where Urban
0: Meyer and Dan Mullen started.
4: Yeah, together Bowling Green. Well, you man. can look no further than last year's Ole Miss team. I mean, uh, everybody said Ole Miss came out of the shoot and played a couple of powder puffs. Well, they beat them seventy-seven to three and seventy-seven to three. I mean, it, it, to hang seventy-something points on somebody is uh, is not an easy task. Uh, so, uh, they're a good football team. With uh, they have replaced, of course, their coach Justin Fuente went to Virginia Tech and uh great hire yeah oh he's an incredible coach and they're uh they do everything quarterback paxton lynch is backing up trevor simeon for the dallas for the denver broncos so I mean, they lost a lot off of that team but they've got a lot of other uh, players back and their quarterback is playing really well so it's going to be a tough game for old miss i don't think old miss loses this game i think they got their attention with it last year yeah uh, but uh, on the day of your wedding by the way uh, is what happened uh, that day. I think. Uh, yeah. I think some some uh, patrons to your wedding were stomping in there a little agitated that uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ole Miss was losing when they got to the wedding reception. But uh, hey, uh, you, you know that's what happens when you look past uh, a team. And I think Ole Miss kind of admitted during this week that they may have done that. A little to an extent uh, with the Memphis Tigers, so uh, it's time to figure out and uh, and, and tra- strap it on because Ole Miss has an off week, and then they have a couple of games, a gauntlet a little bit, at Arkansas, at LSU, and then home to Auburn, Yeah, and that's going to be some big stuff, especially, Jay, now that the LSU Tigers will have former head football coach of the Ole Miss Rebels, Edward Orgeron. <laughs> stomping up and down the sidelines, snarling back and forth as uh, he has taken over for the dismissed Les Miles.
0: Yeah, his uh, second big time interim appointment. Yeah, six and two as the coach of USC a couple of years ago. Uh, very interesting. Uh, one quick note about that Ole Miss Memphis game. I, I am intrigued. I am like you. I think Ole Miss will win the game. I think it might be more. It, it might be closer. Um, uh, too close for comfort for some Ole Miss fans. Um, but again, after last year's, I don't know. I mean, a win is a win, um, and you know, with the way they started off this year at two and two, you just want to stack W's right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean uh, style points. Who cares? You're just wanting to get wins. And but here's the thing that I'm intrigued by. I, I thought Ole Miss was going to do the deal to Georgia, partly because oh, Old Miss, they? Ole Miss, has started so fast in every game except for the Wofford game, where they basically, um, you know. Through in the towel, basically. I yeah. <laughs> it like. Put it on the card. It's kind of how they did that game. Yeah. Um, but when, they, when they've they gotten out to fast starts against teams that also do tempo like they do on offense, that's been trouble for them for the past couple of years. They have trouble keeping those leads, um, and Memphis is a tempo team. Georgia is not a tempo team. So I, I was kind of thinking, you know, if, if Ole Miss puts Georgia in a hole early, it's going to be because of the way Georgia uses the talent they have that was going to be a hard hole for them to dig out of. Um, but Memphis, and again, I don't think I don't think they who, they are who they were. Excuse me, I don't think they who they were last year. But I do think they're still a good football team.
4: Oh yeah, I and mean, so I mean,
0: that's that's something they've that, and they're good at running tempo offense. So that's something that you got to you know kind of keep an eye on, especially you know if Ole Miss runs off to a big start again and man oh man when they get going are they good
4: they're the best offense in the SEC when they're I think they're the best they're in the country
0: them. I don't know well I mean some people might say Louisville but holy cow their receivers that might be the best group of receivers I've seen on any team uh that I've watched play college football yeah that that's there something. were times yesterday where I mean I think I tweeted out man why don't they just throw it? Why don't they run the old Tecmo pass two, the old Tecmo bowl pass two, and where basically the quarterback just drops back out of the screen and throws it as far as he can and they'll just go run and get it because I mean, you could do that. Yeah. If they tried to do, if they just changed their offense to that, they might've scored a hundred last week. Yeah. Against they, Georgia.
4: They, uh, they, the, uh, we mentioned this earlier before the football season started that, uh, that, uh, What's his name? Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports came out with a list of best receiving core in the country. Penn State was on that list. <laughs> Penn State. I mean, and i'm I'm being honest with you right now. I see, Every one of these wide receivers with an opportunity to go to the NFL and play football. Yeah, every one of them, from Quincy at a boy show, uh to Demarcus Lodge, who had a bit of a coming out party last week. Um, Patterson or uh, 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 Van Jefferson might be the best one of the bunch out there. Uh, his dad is a coach in the NFL, uh, you know. And you forget about Stringfellow because these other guys are jumping out of the gym to, to do what they do, but he continues to make circus catches uh, for Chad Kelly. And then, of course, you got the two freshmen, uh, DK Metcalf, of course, out for the season after he broke his foot against. But, boy, he was making some pretty incredible catches the first two games. Uh, he caught
0: two balls this year. They were both touchdowns.
4: Yeah, one of them was tipped over a first-round <laughs> draft pick for Florida State into his own hands. And then, of course, you forget A.J. Brown. I mean, this guy looks like Laquan Treadwell, 2.0. I, I,
0: I don't know that that guy's not the best right now. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I don't know that he's not the best of them all right now. and Evan, Physically, he's a
4: freak. We didn't even mention Evan Ingram, who, by the way, is the best tight end in the SEC. So, I mean, it's it continues to catch 90 yards and two touchdowns every week. So I, it looked like, looks like his decision to come back for his senior season was a smart one. Um, but, uh, yeah, when this offense is rolling, I, I, don't, I mean, I'm hard-pressed to find anyone in the country who's better, and the receiving core, I think they're the best, and I don't think it's close.
0: The thing is... I, I think because of the depth. I think both Mullen and Freeze sometimes bury themselves with the way they call the offense. And I I've I've said this uh on the sports show that I do uh in the Jackson area here this week. Sometimes Dan Mullen, he he confuses me like sequentially sometimes I think he gets kind of he he gets too, too meta, like he's around the corner from himself. I mean, look, he's one of the guys that, that pioneered the offense that they run. I mean, you can YouTube videos, instructional videos on the spread offense, and you're looking at Dan Mullen teaching you the spread offense in videos that they made when he was at Utah with Urban Meyer. But sometimes, man, I mean, there's a difference between knowing the offense and being a great play caller. And sometimes, I don't know, those both of those guys in the way – like specifically the way they they use their tailback sometimes, uh, and the way that uh, like freeze for example, um, sometimes I, I feel like you you need to shift the gears and adjust a little bit for where you are situationally in the game with the scoreboard and the clock. And sometimes I think he he gets too deep in what they're doing, and I think he loses sight of that sometimes. Easy for me to say because I've been a college football coach. Uh, zero times <laughs> in my life, uh, not counting PlayStation. You're one every Saturday, right? But so. um, it, it just uh, you know random, random views from where I'm sitting at over here. I know State fans. We're talking about all this great stuff going on at Ole Miss. They're drowning in a sea of their own vomit right now. But State <laughs> is off this week, so um, you know they got a chance to uh, rest a little bit and get healthy before they start an interesting run. Next week with one of these really interesting toss-up games, I think they got Auburn next week. So, you know that's
4: at eleven (laughs) a.m. Thanks, (laughs) Southeastern Conference. Those should not exist in conference play. I don't understand (sighs) that. Well, for for for, uh, you're speaking to a season ticket holder of both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Yeah, Uh, that's awful.
0: Well, no, I I understand. (laughs) I mean, it's like the the worst. You know, they 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 unless you live in town. The Egg Bowl start, what, starting next year for the next yeah. two years at least, they're moving the Egg Bowl back to Thanksgiving night, and boy, that was met with a lot of uh, contrition, disgruntlement. Yeah. I think I just made a word, but um, I, for for the fan that watches these games at home, uh, it's great. You have one, you have one of the best holidays when you have you know all your family and the best food, and it's one of the best times of the year. And then in, in terms of, you know, college football games in Mississippi, you have the best game on one of the best nights. How much better could it be? But I understand if you're a season ticket holder uh, and you make the trek to every one of those games, if you go a step further and, you, you know, you have a, a, a slot in the junction or the grove and um, you, you invest time and money because it takes a lot of both uh, to, uh, to tailgate uh, and do it upright. And um, if you're blocking off (laughs) lots of time in your life to get this thing right, then doing all of that on Thanksgiving night can be a nightmare. It's the same way for the media, too, because now you're taking away, uh, you know, a a holiday time from from those folks. uh, And now they're instead of being with family on Thanksgiving night, they're working uh, which is not fun. So, I, that's I can understand where from a a, t- a season ticket holder, somebody who always goes to the games, and then the media that have to work at it, it is that's a boo from their standpoint. <laughs> but if you're just a fan that, that watches most of these games from home, you're like, Yay! Thanksgiving night just got even better. At least that's that, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, it's better
4: than uh, <laughs> I'll give the the, the 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 home public. It's better than uh, West Virginia and like Oklahoma or something bizarre <laughs> that you don't really have a, a, a specific game. But the 11 a.m. kickoffs, boy, they're tar- I mean, if you don't have a house or live in the general vicinity of either Old Miss or Mississippi State, whew, that's an early wake-up it's call early on a Saturday day.
0: morning, boy. It is. Real early. And then it ends too fast, and you got way too much time to just deal with whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so we'll take a break. Coming up on the show today, Scott Little, athletic director, Bellhaven University. They're opening the Bellhaven Bowl this weekend. Uh, they're on campus facility that they're very excited about. It's gorgeous. And uh, also today, CJ Lamaster from uh, WLBT, the NBC affiliate in Jackson, talking about where does all this SEC money come from? How do the uni- universities use it? And where does it go? That's uh, coming up with more MPB Season Pass on Think Radio.
1: This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharia Britt. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi
3: on MPB Think Radio.
1: Support for Mississippi Public Broadcasting comes from the Delta Entrepreneurship Network. Hosting the Delta Challenge Pitch Competition September 29th at the University of Mississippi. Information and registration at dra.gov slash entrepreneur.
5: Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, texting and driving. It's a problem across the nation. Has the cell phone below the windows, which makes it even worse because you're having to look down. Traffic crashes are causing thousands of deaths. That could cost not just your life, but anyone else's life. Mississippi has a law banning texting and driving, but is the law working? Are your officers writing tickets for texting and driving? No. We take a closer look at texting and driving on At Issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV.
0: In the 1970s, Studs Terkel traveled the country asking
6: ordinary Americans how they feel about their work. Look, we tire, we sweat, we have hangovers, we have upset stomachs, we have feelings, emotions, and we're not about to be placed in a category of a machine.
0: I'm Ari Shapiro. We continue our series, Working Then and Now, later on All Things Considered, from NPR News.
1: Today at 4 on NBB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.
4: It's MPB Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sam Wells with Jay White. Right now I'm joined by the Belhaven University Athletic Director, Scott Little, who took time out of his busy schedule to come over and speak with us on a huge week for the Belhaven Blazer football program as they open their new football stadium this weekend. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining us today.
6: Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate
4: it. Boy, what a huge undertaking this is for for Bellhaven University, and this weekend and Saturday has to be an exciting time for you guys.
6: It is. Uh, it's, it's a little hard to believe it's here, but in another sense, it's not. <laughs> uh, there are many miles to go before we sleep, as as the saying goes. But, um, incredibly thankful and excited uh, for this opportunity to finally have. Our own stadium right in the center of campus um, for our football program, uh, specifically to finally have their own stadium. To be able to walk out of your own locker room onto your own surface is a a pretty significant thing. So, um, obviously, that's the the centerpiece uh, for campus athletically, but also the things that that the benefits that that's going to provide, I think, for our campus life in general, even the community at large. Yeah.
4: Well, of course, this isn't just an overnight thing. This has been building for quite some time. So when did all these plans take uh, take off?
6: What was the catalyst behind uh, making this move? A lot of things. Uh, we've we've discussed stadium options and locations for years, uh, some more serious than others. Uh, we've looked at, at property close to campus and then we finally kept coming back to this location in the center of campus which is the bowl, which has historical significance for us, not only athletically, but in our arts programs, singing Christmas tree and and a lot of things that people are familiar with. And the more we thought about it, the more we said, that's really where the stadium needs to be. Uh, There's not a more Bellhaven site on campus than the bowl, in my opinion. (laughs) And now to see that that historic location, a place where uh, really generations of A lot of Jacksonians have grown up. I ran into Rick Cleveland the other night, and we were talking about it. And he said, yeah, I grew up playing softball in the bowl, uh, not like as a child. And just we hear those stories about that location. And so now to to see the evolution of that spot and and what can be now for the future um, is pretty special. Yeah, of course, Bellhaven and Millsaps College are right across the street from one another.
4: Incredible growth going on down there in the Midtown and Bellhaven area in Jackson, and this is going to be a huge part of it, you guys hope, I'm sure.
6: Yeah, yeah, it is exciting, and and some renewal of rivalry with Millsaps, although we've played them off and on in in a couple of sports here and there. Um, But with our move to NCAA membership, uh, playing them more often, and the last two years we've opened up the football season with them, and uh, we had planned to do that in our stadium this year, but uh, rain pushed us a little late. But that's okay. Uh, Donnie and the folks at Millsaps were great uh, to, to host again. So we'll be we'll be in our stadium the next two years, opening with Millsaps and that's a lot of fun that's uh, that's an important thing for the city uh for the region for the state for our alums uh, it, it's it's a whole lot of fun moving into a new division of course mississippi college is doing it this year playing
4: delta state and of course you guys in d3 with Millsaps is always always helps to have a big rivalry to, yeah. to kick off a football season for yep. sure you also have a, a football coach there that a lot of people know about how mummy who's been on the show a few times who was my neighbor uh <laughs> to be perfectly candid here in the city of jackson what a fantastic football mind to have to see and 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 uh, lead this football team
6: into a new era and a new generation, into the new football stadium. It is. It's, it's, a lot of people have asked uh, what the connection was there uh, when our head coach opening uh, came open a few years ago, and uh, there was really a mutual friend here locally who connected the two of us. And uh, one of the main things that that really came together there was that that Hal really enjoys um, NCAA Division three football. And, uh, you know, our student-athletes are just as important as any football player at a Power 5 school. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, they're going to play in front of larger crowds uh, in the SEC. But the, the the spirit and the excitement and, and, and honestly, the, the joy in it all for our student-athletes uh, is just the same. And uh, so he buys into that. And, and I think that's part of the fit piece for us at Bellhaven, and he even had some relationships going back to with some of our our um, coaches who had, had been on our staff years and years ago and, and had moved on to other schools, and so he knew Bellhaven, he knew a little bit about Jackson, you guys may have talked about that some when, when you got to know him yeah. a little bit early on, so he had some connections here, and it was just one of those those interesting timing things that, that all fell together. It's got to help your program too, uh, as far as a marketing
4: standpoint and promotionally to have uh, the SEC Coach of the Year from 1998 to be there. Uh, a guy who's coached a first round draft pick and Tim Couch, yeah. a guy who is a world renowned mind of football uh, and who has friends throughout the coaching you know tree throughout the country.
6: Yeah, it does. And there's actually a book that's just hit the shelves that is really the. Uh, it's called The Perfect Pass. And uh, the author of the book also has written a couple of uh, New York Times bestsellers. And, uh, I mean, it the book has just come out. And it's the story of, of Coach Mummy, and, um, obviously, his connection uh, and, and kind of mentoring and, um, and development of, of the offensive scheme that we now know is a lot of things, whether it's hurry up, no huddle, or all that. Uh, Mike Leach, obviously the head coach at Washington State, he and Hal go way back. And uh, it is the story of the development of that. Uh, Lemuria had a book signing uh, on Thursday of last week, and uh, that's just hitting the shelves be great for your Christmas list if you're yeah. looking for something there. <laughs> but but yeah, obviously, um Hal knows folks uh, from coast to coast, and uh, and that makes it a lot of fun. Uh, just just having that uh, having that exposure is is a really helpful thing. You know, Mike Dubose coached at Millsaps too, and of course you're going to get you have Hal
4: Mummy down here in the, at Bellhaven. Uh, D three football maybe uh, may not be the cash cow that the SEC is, but as you said, it it really attracts football people because the guys play football because they love playing football. It's not a uh, it's not a money making venture for these kids, and uh, they really get into it. And as the coaches,
6: yeah, and you know there there's not. There's not a lot of Division Three football in the Deep South, and so I think part of the the misunderstanding about that um, is relative to the you know to the amount of schools in the Deep South that um, that participate in Division Three football. But you know the, the the number two team in Division Three, Wisconsin Whitewater, who we've played the last two years. And uh, we went to Whitewater this year. For the second year in a row, last Saturday, they just beat the NAI number two team in the country. Um, and so it, it is an incredibly competitive level of football, and uh, it, it, it's proven to be that way for us. Five of our, our ten opponents this regular season are ranked in the top 25. Yeah. So we've got a brutal schedule, but, but really proud of the work of, of our student-athletes. The progress that they've shown from last year to this year, and obviously excited about this Saturday coming up.
4: Yeah, Jay and I have talked about how, man, if you guys could just play somebody not ranked in the top fifteen, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you know, you, or, or top twenty, uh, you may be able to pull put together a pretty good winning streak. But uh, the program definitely building. Uh, speaking of building the program, let's discuss uh, the move from NAIA to Division Three. What are what are some of the things that you have to do
6: transition wise for that to occur? Great question. Um, well, one of the reasons, really, kind of, the people ask, you know, why, why would why would you make that that move? And for us, uh, it was it was a, a, a pretty, you know, rigorous analysis of kind of who are we, where have we come from, what does the future look like, what are the opportunities, and in in many ways, we have functioned like a Division three athletics department and university for for quite a few years, and um, compared to. The schools that we were going up against, mostly in competition and, and you kind of look at that, and I think that 's what every school has to do. Um, there are benefits at, 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 in every division at, at every level, but each school kind of needs to figure out what 's our own fit and what may fit for one school doesn 't fit for the other and so that's that 's kind of what led us to to really examine that and and realize you know that 's kind of how we 've been operating and then uh, providentially, there was some interesting things going on. Mississippi College was moving back to a, a conference that they had been a part of. Obviously, some some rivalries there, and uh, there was a conference affiliation spot that opened up, which is critically important yeah. um, for uh, for schools to have conference affiliation. And so, uh, we were invited to be part of that. And and so, the way that the timing lined up was uh, was really neat, and our. For for me to see and hear the responses of our student athletes um, and and how much fun they're having, um, whether it's the places that they, they they travel, the schools they go up against, we just felt like it was going to be a really good move for us, and 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 it has been. Our, our folks have been tremendous. Our student athletes, um, our coaches in, in recruiting have just recruited as strongly as ever, and uh, I think our campus environment there there's a brand awareness with the NCAA that that they're just you can't you can't compare that and um and so for us as we looked forward that was what we felt like the next step should be and uh you know you're doing this with all sports so have you had any hiccups with anything
4: with any of the other sports the tennis the baseball or anything like that as any are all the other sports having a an easy time with the transition obviously not just football is the one that's doing it
6: yeah yeah i think um well you know kind of looking at our, our postseason participation last year um we we did really, really, yeah. really well, um, and and in preparation, go back to your your, your question earlier. Um, th- there there are a lot of things that you do. You, you change your financial aid structure in Division three because you don't have athletic, athletically based aid, mm. um, but you still do financial aid as a university. And again, going back to kind of how we had structured it as a university, uh, we were functioning. We were given athletics aid, but but the proportionality of it and some things like that uh, was very Division three like and. And we wanted to be in a place that would give our student athletes and, you know, by default, our coaches the best opportunity when they hit the recruiting trail. We, we want to be recruiting against schools that, that we have a chance to recruit against and we have a chance to be competitive with. And so that was what kind of pointed us forward. We had, I don't know at the top of my head how many, uh, specifically how many teams we had uh, who made nationals last year. Uh, as well as uh, some individual student athletes in uh, individual sports like track and field. Um, so as we have moved into this NCAA uh, membership, um, we, we uh, go through a period of, of transition, and in that we're part of um, um, a National Christian College Athletic Association, and that provides us some postseason opportunities during this transition time. And uh, so it's, it's been good. It has been a tremendous uh, fit, and our folks have worked tremendously hard Uh, To make it work, and it's been real, real fun to see.
4: All right, now let's talk about the stadium. Let's get the get to the fun stuff.
6: First game is this
4: weekend. What time is the game? Who is the game against? And then we'll get some specifics about the the stadium itself.
6: Yeah, one o'clock this Saturday against East Texas Baptist University, top twenty-five ranked team, who is also a conference opponent for us in the American Southwest Conference. And so uh, that's when we're going to kick it off. We are incredibly excited, as you know. About that, I would encourage people who are interested uh, to get there early. Uh, one of the things we are doing this year um, is we are not ticketing. Uh, we're having open seating. We've got a, we've got um, twelve hundred seats. It's, they're all chair back seats. Um, it's incredibly comfortable. It's very close to the action, and we, just kind of as a gift to to everybody, as yeah. we just kind of you know see this first year um, opening in that spot. Uh, we want to do that, and so. Uh, there are also some some places people will stand again in that setting, in that bowl setting. There, in the middle of campus, It's, it's such a special place that to have the stadium there. Um, it makes it even more fun than if you were just you know, building something in a, in a location that didn't have that kind of historical significance. So 1 o'clock this Saturday, East Texas Baptist, and uh, we'll be ready to go. We want folks to come out. There'll be an area that's uh, designated for people who want to set up to tailgate. It's family weekend uh, for the university, so we'll have a lot of family members in town and some activities uh, surrounding that. We even have a, a volleyball match at 5 o'clock uh, following the, the football game, so folks can come out and make a, make a day out of it, even if, you know, if somebody can come midway through the uh, first half or halftime. When you get there, get there. We we, we want folks to come and enjoy uh, a quality level of fun, a nationally competitive level of football, and um, and have a lot of fun outside.
4: Now. Uh- your neighbor across the street here had a uh, had a, a beer garden out there uh, at their stadium a couple of uh, yeah about a year ago and then of course there's all sorts of little businesses and, and new food models popping up popsicles and all kinds of things Do you envision some of these partnerships uh, coming over coming across the street to to the new stadium uh, maybe in the coming seasons
6: well we have already begun to talk with with local vendors um we've got a, a, a food truck and some and some concession type food carts uh, uh, yeah. that will begin popping up and yeah, it's kinda of got that Bellhaveny Fondren yeah. kinda of vibe to it and, and we we think that's we think that's good. That oh, yeah. that's the neighborhood, that's who we are, and uh, we think our students, our fans will enjoy that. So yeah, we'll we'll have that. We'll have the traditional concessions obviously uh, type of setup. We wanna do some other types of things to to supplement that to, to have fun with it scott little the athletic director at Belhaven university expecting a huge weekend as they open
4: their new stadium on campus scott i, I live in this area i cannot wait for this to happen and uh, this is going to be a great weekend and i wish you the best of luck and uh tell coach mummy uh, his old neighbor say congratulations we'll do it thanks sam <laughs> we'll be right back it's mpb season pass
1: This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public
5: Broadcasting. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issues Texting and Driving. It's a problem across the nation. Has the cell phone below the windows, which makes it even worse because you're having to look down. Traffic crashes are causing thousands of deaths that could cost not just your life, but anyone else's life. Mississippi has a law banning texting and driving, but is the law working? Are your officers writing tickets for texting and driving? No. We take a closer look at texting and driving on At Issue this Friday at 7:30 p.m. on MPB TV. Support for MPB comes from CSpire Business Solutions, helping businesses move into the future with next-generation fiber-optic internet access. More at 855 CSpire Two. CSpire, Customer Inspired.
2: Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is. It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10. Right here on MPB Think Radio.
1: There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm
3: Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm you're Britton. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.
0: Back at SPP's season pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Very cool conversation we're about to have here. CJ Lamaster from WLBT, the NBC affiliate uh, in the Jackson area, Channel Three. We need Facebook
4: uh, Live. CJ's coming in, uh, coming in hot, man. Wearing we a should.
0: tie, looking sharp. I know, right? Totally, um, I'm totally underdressed, but I, it's not <laughs> any kind of. It's just well, it's Thursday. I'll play with you. <laughs> uh, but CJ's uh, just did a great um, uh, investigative. Uh, report, uh, Chief investigative reporter at Channel 3, I should say, and you did a report about um, the SEC money. Uh, where all does it come from? How much is it? Where does it go? And how does it affect Mississippi State and Ole Miss? That's a lot of really interesting questions that I think um, I'm sure people who are, you know, kind of uh, pedestrian sports fans would really love to know. Uh, especially in a state that is constantly broke and miscalculating what their budget's going to be, uh, but for sports fans especially also, uh, because Mississippi State and Ole Miss have um, they've really they put the accelerator down without, with how with
3: what they've done on the field and off the field, and that plays a huge part. Well, you know, you had almost a perfect storm uh, the last few years with both the meteoric rise of the two uh, schools uh, in the polls. I mean, those seasons, the 2014 season. And then you had something different with the start of the SEC network. So it was almost like these these two worlds converging. That money has increased significantly. We found just in the last year uh, more than $38 million going to both Mississippi State and Ole Miss you compare that to maybe five, six years ago, we're talking six, seven million dollars. So that has increased so much and it's allowed them to do so much more. You know, there's this arms race of sorts. I don't know if you've been out there, the stadium, every time you go, oh, there's something different. Mm -hmm. Oh, the screen's bigger. Oh, look at this. (laughs) And it's just this race to see who can have the best this and the best that. And, uh, you know, it's all being fueled uh, by this money. Yeah. That's remarkable. You mentioned a
0: $38 million influx. I mean, 20 years ago, the entire athletics budget at both schools was somewhere around $38 million, maybe. So, I mean, that's just to give you an idea of of what it's looking like. Well,
3: there's a There's a ton of uh, money coming in. Uh, What we looked at, it was a USA Today report. So uh, this guy two years ago did all the legwork for all these stats and really crunched these numbers. About $1.6 billion in total revenue coming in for the SEC. Now about $219 (laughs) million in profit. Now that means every single school in the SEC uh, had positive cash flow, got a profit. And you think about that. Well, $220 million, uh, give or take okay, that's almost 10 times more than the second highest conference. And I couldn't tell you that one right now. I don't have a note in front of me. But that's a lot of money. And you have some schools, some conferences that uh, that sometimes will run into the red. Uh, historically, you'll have some schools in the SWAC that will. JSU, uh, oh, yeah. I think in the 2014 season, broke even. Alcorn State ran a deficit. Uh, uh, Southern Miss, even in that 2014 year, had like a half million dollar deficit. So it's something that's... And then you have to think, okay, we've got to downsize this athletics budget now. Now we have to... Figure out what we're going to do with having less money. So it's a it's a it's a balancing act.
4: Yeah, I mean, growing up, I've I've been to both colleges when I was growing up. My uh, my father and mother were Ole Miss season ticket holders. Ole Miss's stadium held forty two thousand people, no lights when I first started going to uh, games when I was younger. <laughs> Mississippi State around the same. I think they did have uh, lights uh, before Ole Miss did. Ole Miss was kind of the Wrigley Field of the SEC where they waited and waited and waited and didn't want to play uh, at night. But, uh, yeah, CJ, if you where does ticket prices and ticket sales and things like that, I can remember being a, uh, a 10-year-old at the Ole Miss-Alabama game in 1993, and I looked at my ticket and it said $23 on the front of the ticket. Uh, the Georgia game last week, Ole Miss, uh, $90 all. Mississippi State next week seventy five. Uh, does the does the ticket money go anywhere? Did did, did they break anything down with, in
3: regards to that? It, it it all seems to where and again we don't get like a, a true line item budget. You get what's called a top sheet, which has a basic breakdown and uh, and if and if you want to see this in more specifics, we still have uh, still shots of both schools' top uh, top sheets on the story on our website. There's an investigate section on MSNewsNow dot com where you can actually go and uh, and pull this up. And we also have uh, Filings that they had to submit to the NCAA, which they have to do every year, which kind of breaks some of this down too. But it's almost, you think of it like this, it's almost like all this goes into a pot and then they start divvying it out and figuring out what they're going to do with it. And what we found is that... Uh, all this money coming in from ticket sales, and I, I wish I could give you a figure here. It's in the millions. Uh, you know, you've got concessions in there, you've got merchandising, you've got guarantees for schools that come in that you're going to pay them. All the stuff that, that that feeds in, and uh, the last numbers that we had, uh, which is from that 2014 season, to see a profit, both schools made about five five and a half million dollars roughly uh, in profit. So they were able to put that back into the athletics program. And that's asked- heard
0: of. You mentioned before. Uh, I mean. Before really the SEC network, the, the schools basically had it set to where every year they basically broke even. That the the expenses and the revenue matched almost, I mean, to the penny at most. Even SEC schools, uh, there are some, you know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU um, would run a little bit of, um, you know, they, they would they would make some money, but um, most of them uh, would just break even. So that's that's. It's incredible that Mississippi State and Ole Miss uh, are are getting revenue on top of what they're doing already. But let me ask you: so, in this report, and this was on Channel Three, so that's not a sports outlet; it's a news outlet, right? Uh, so, folks who are not sports fans, did you get any feedback about this? I mean, were folks? I understand if you're not if you're not a sports fan uh, in a state that is last in education and uh last in economic any kind of economic stat that you can think of um all of these millions and millions and millions of dollars go into play sports i can understand why people would get mad about that i i really could sure it, it seems excessive how what kind of feedback did you get about that
3: well we had some uh you know great story great reporting which isn't really i mean i appreciate that that's good and that shows that we're on the right track hopefully but uh i had a couple of criticisms we were asking, well, what can we do as far as – this is padding the coaches' pockets. That was one guy. And uh, that is true. Uh, the way the coaches' salaries work, of course, uh, you have a base salary that is set um, – that is actually put in place by IHL. Uh, that is taxpayer-funded. It is a small portion of what they're actually paid. Yeah. The rest of it comes from foundations, nonprofit uh, organizations within each school that will then raise that money. And uh, that will beef that up to where it's comparable uh, to other schools and, and is competitive to some degree. And he's true. It's true to an extent. I've pulled up this old myth athletics budget here now, uh, $20 million in football tickets. That's what they projected for the uh, operating budget for this fiscal year, 2016, 2017. Your coaches, staff salaries, benefits, $24 million. So right there, that tells you that's wow. a lot of money yeah. uh, going to that. But to his question, yeah, I mean, some of it's going to the salaries, but not all of it. And then we had somebody else say, well, why can't you offset that? Take some of that money that they're making off of that. And from the SEC network, for example, or from the SEC in general, um, and put that into tuition, make the tuition go down. Well, that's also complicated. You yeah. really can't do that because if you do, it'll be a drop in the bucket. Let's take a look at MSU's enrollment. Uh, was uh, let's say, from a year or two ago, it was uh, sixteen thousand plus. You, you minus the two hundred fifty student athletes they have. Uh, you break down that they had five and a half million in profit. That equates to about a hundred and thirty dollars. That you'll get discounted off of your tuition when your tuition is around seven grand. That's right, a fun, it's
4: a fun night in the Cotton District, but I don't know if it'll yeah. do anything. That's about it. I mean, that's about all you
3: can get with that. Yeah. So it, it's 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 really a negligible impact tuition, uh, and that really is the frustrating thing. Now you do have schools like LSU, for example, that will take that excess that they get that profit and they'll put it right back in academics. And you know, State and Ole Miss will say, "Well, we do that. We do it through scholarships." And they do it through cost of attendance, which the NCAA started allowing a few years ago, where not only do you pay for tuition now, but you can basically pay for uh, room and board. Uh, they work out to about five grand a year that this student athlete gets for any extraneous expenses. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Maybe a power bill. Maybe something like that, like we like we <laughs> saw with the Ole Miss. That, no, I'm kidding. Uh, boy, very, but, but very CJ well done,
4: CJ rolling in with notes. I'm I just like saying. That. I'm just saying. I
3: like but, it. But 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 and, and again, it's on both sides of the fence as far as that's concerned. But those are things that they ruled. Hey, you know, we need to be able to pay players something. But here's what we're going to pay them. And some schools pay more than others. Uh, State and Ole Miss about the same, uh, roughly where that's concerned. As far as scholarship money, they pay about the same as well. If you get full, uh, not all sports are going to get full scholarships but that was the kind of feedback that we got basically saying well i don't know if they're really spending what they need to be spending on and you know that's true but they are self-sufficient uh scott strickland Mm -hmm. well he'll tell you that before he goes to florida but he would tell you very quickly (laughs) that they were the only athletics department uh or athletics uh, yeah athletics department in the state that is completely self-sufficient now Ross Bjork told me the same thing, so I don't know, you know, what's going on there. Huh. But uh, you know, they, they get no institutional dollars, essentially, is what he's saying. Right, and so he feels like, well, okay, this is a separate entity. Well, as you
0: say, athletic departments are technically they're an, they're a, a separate entity. That's, sure. that's the word for it from the university itself. But let me ask you: I want to be totally, uh, you know, doom and gloom on the money that they're spending uh, because I, I saw in the piece you, you did talk to both athletic directors that talked about the benefit. Uh, that this money and the interest in athletics um, is bringing to not just the campuses but the cities. You talked about the mayors as well, yeah. And and it has been a huge deal for the cities when you're talking about how many people are in these cities on you know any given Saturday.
3: You know, it swells to six, seven times in Oxford. Anybody who's been there on game day knows that. Uh, I believe
4: that a couple of weeks ago at the Alabama
3: game. Oh, sure, my gosh well when we were talking to pat patterson uh mayor patterson uh mayor of oxford and of course he was he was very gracious with his time and he was great and of course parker Wiseman and Starkville. but when we were talking to them about just uh, the different uh impacts that we could have you know parker said well for those seven home games that we get a year that's a 13 million dollar economic impact the chamber of commerce had done the math and that's pretty significant that allows them to do things wow. like refurbish they have a new, brand new city hall they're refurbishing their police department there uh they're being they're able to get those roads Worked on and get and get that taken care of. Where they don't have potholes every few feet. And one thing about Oxford too, yeah. I did a little uh, chuckle there. Here, that was not <laughs> guys a dig. He's got, you,
0: got your comedy bitch too. I those like that. Not a
3: dig. It's just a fact. It's, it's just, just a, a fact. fact. But the the one thing I wanted to find from uh, Pat Patterson, which was interesting, and I, and I want to make sure I get this right. But he said the valuation, which is basically you know the assessed value of the city of Oxford, had gone up significantly. From three hundred and I think it was either three hundred fifty or four hundred fifty million to five hundred, it basically had gone up hundred million. We'll just do it that way. Yeah, a hundred million dollars in five years—it had increased that much. Wow! And that's that's unheard of. That kind of growth in Oxford, and you go through the square and you see all the developments, the apartment housing, and all this stuff that's just popping up. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. This uh, it's an imp- incredible generation of. Resources.
4: Yeah, the city of Starkville right now is going through a basic renaissance uh, as far as restaurants and and uh, condominiums and things like that. I mean, Oxford has been doing it for a, a, about a you know a few years, maybe before. But boy, the, the city of Starkville and uh, their chamber of commerce are doing an incredible job right now with. Uh, with what they're doing, CJ, I ask you a real quick question because we're running short on time. To tell us, you put and you may have you maybe you not know you may not know this because it's not an in-state question. But would would the uh, Louisiana State University throw money back into academics because of the top scholarships that the state gives out?
3: I don't know if that's the reason. I know that there are some schools uh, in the SEC and even outside of that spectrum that that tend to give some of that back. I, I'm not sure of the reasoning behind that but uh it's certainly it's it's a good question well
0: you know louisiana is in such a budget hole right now that i think their governor they threatened to uh, he to leveraged to take their football. football the school the state's public university football programs against their budget so they might be kind of being i don't know forced uh, to put any kind of excess they have back into the academic side of it. Very interesting. We're about out of time here. we got to take a break before we come back and wrap it up. I'd love to ask you about what Southern Miss fans thought about this, uh, <laughs> if we had time. I mean, you talk about Oxford and Starkville. I mean, Hattiesburg is like, in terms of population, it's three times the size of both of those towns put together. That's true. And, you know, just because they're not in that league, they're kind of left out in the cold, and it's an entirely different situation. And it's it's very interesting uh, the difference between the two and what Southern Miss has to do just to break even sure. on a on a yearly basis versus. And I don't want to make it sound like like Ole Miss and State are getting carried along by the SEC network. I mean. It has helped greatly, but they've used it very well. Not everybody has taken this boon in their athletic department and, and
3: succeeded from it. Well, there's another thing very quickly, too, that's the difference between this. You know, Oxford and Starkville are about the same size and population, so when it swells, there's that much more of an impact. You know, A city like Hattiesburg is a little bit bigger, but you look at Tuscaloosa. You look at some of these other places, Gainesville, Baton Rouge. that are large, yeah. Baton Rouge. So when they have this swell, it's not as noticeable. When you have these small towns, like Patterson said, that swell to six, seven times, how do, you, how do you deal with that? It's a lot of traffic. Absolutely. C.J. LeMaster, it is WLBT, the NBC affiliate, Channel 3 in Jackson,
0: Mississippi. Go find his story. It's msnewsnow.com. Thanks for coming in, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks stuff. for having me. All right. We'll take a break. Come back wrap it up. This is MPB's Season Pass. In the 1970s, Studs Terkel traveled the country asking ordinary
6: Americans how they feel about their work look, we tire, we sweat, we have hangovers, we have upset stomachs, we have feelings, emotions, and we're not about to be placed in a category of a machine.
0: I'm Ari Shapiro. We continue our series, Working Then and Now, later on All Things Considered, from NPR News.
1: Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio.
6: Americans have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live
5: in infamy. Mr. Gorbachev... We will keep this promise
6: to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day.
0: Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Great conversation there with uh, C.J. LeMaster from uh, WLBT. Again, msnewsnow.com is oh, where yeah. you can find uh, that report that he did. Very, very interesting.
4: Yeah, and uh, he's right. Those towns uh, do swell uh, to beyond capacity. Starkville's a little bit easier to maneuver around uh, because uh, their street layout is a little bit better. Yeah. But Oxford, boy. You better get you a rickshaw if you're going to be going from... (laughs) Place to place, <laughs> in that not a bad town, idea. In that town on uh, not Saturday, not a bad idea. Sam. way to
0: make some extra money. Yeah,
4: they got the pedicabs up there already. We don't have very much time, Jay. We got like a minute uh, to talk about this, so we're going to do a little bit more about it uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, Scott Strickland's reign at Mississippi State comes to an end. He will be taking over uh, for Jeremy Foley at the University of Florida. Uh, briefly, let us. Uh, what do you think about this move, and where does state go from here?
0: Uh, state. Oh man, they can go in any of a bunch of different directions. Uh, and I think they're going to try to go, uh, you know, Strickland was a promotion from within behind Greg Byrne. Those guys worked closely together. It was basically set up to work that way. Uh, I don't know that it's going to work that way this time. I think state's going to go uh, outward to find a replacement. Uh, as far as Scott Strickland goes, uh, man, uh, this is the Mississippi story. Uh, a kid from South Jackson, Jackson Prep grad, um, went through an, an unorthodox Uh, route to get to athletic director usually those guys are the fundraising guys that make it there Uh, and the ones that aren't the fundraising guy are usually ex-coaches and uh, he came through the sports information uh, direction side of the athletic department and made it to ad and he's great he's he's an amazing marketer uh and there's there's it's immeasurable uh, what he's done to focus the imaging and branding of mississippi state university and what they've done under his uh It's been remarkable. I'm glad for him. I'm proud of him uh, being a Mississippian and doing this. And um, uh, I know some state fans are bent, but that's his career. And he he got offered a top-five job. You have to take it. You have to do that. So congratulations to him. Our thanks for our guest today and for Sam Wells putting this together. We'll be back next Thursday at 10 on Think
1: Radio. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy.